Ladies and gentlemen, fellas, 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 welcome back to the podcast and the YouTube channel. I appreciate you all being here because today is a very, very big day. Today is a video that I'm sure a lot of you are going to enjoy and a lot of you are going to see. Lots of eyeballs on this video also right now. So what we're going to do is break it down as good as we ever have before, which you must draft running backs for the 2020 fantasy football season. But Sal, we saw you do a video like this in April. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a little bit of a teaser, a little bit of a primer for what's going to come. There's going to be things that are changing in the offseason, not only in the actual NFL, but in my specific process to finding other running backs. So consider this the update that is going out right now, as you can see around mid to end of June. And there's a good chance come August, once we have maybe some injury news on players, people actually participating in games in the preseason, cross your fingers. It looks pretty good. Very exciting stuff. Very exciting stuff. But that stuff is going to be coming and there's going to be even more updates. But for right now, I have three must draft running backs for you in specific rounds of the draft, potentially the end of the first round, potentially midway through the second round, potentially the fifth round, that mid-range option where you can really have upside like an Austin Eckler potentially from last year. Can we find that guy this year? So thank you so much for being here. You might not know who I am because this is going to reach a lot more of you, but my name is Sal Vetri. I cover fantasy sports, daily fantasy sports, if you're interested in that sort of thing as well, and a variety of different fantasy sports, but we're buckling up right now. It's full steam ahead for the fantasy football season, and we just released, we just released earlier this week, these Supreme Draft Guide for just $10. Spent like three months on this thing. I'm very excited that is released and continuing to add things to it. So if you want to check that out, if you're interested in that, down below in the description, there's a full on descriptor of it. You can figure out more about it, figure out how you can actually get that. But we're here to sit back, relax if you're brand new. Here we relax, we enjoy ourselves, we sit back, relax, max and all, cool if you will, playing b-ball up by our school. All that type of stuff we're going to be doing right now in this video as I break it down for you, educate ourselves, get better than your league mates, crush your league mates. Thank you so much for being here. And if at any point during this video, you do find it valuable, please do hit the like button and the big old subscribe button. Hopefully on cue just popped up on the screen. Take a second of your time, bottom right hand corner, totally free way to support this show at any point during it. If you think, Hey, this is pretty good hit that for me. Why don't you? So let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into it. Starting with the man on the screen behind me, the Philadelphia Eagles second year running back, former second round pick last year out of Penn State, Miles Sanders. Now, Miles Sanders is somebody who's picking up a lot of hype since I made my initial must draft videos in April. And he's picking up enough hype to the point where he's currently going towards the middle and end of second round of drafts right now for 12 team formats. And I think he's going to start to push closer to that end of the first round, beginning a second round mode right on the turn, I think is where Miles Sanders is going to start to go. So right now there's still some value in him, but I think either way, he's a fantastic second round pick. If he's your second running back and you go back to back RB, which I think you should check out some of my other videos for number one draft strategy, early round strategy, overall strategy, loads of videos in their catalog, like 60 to 70 to 80 plus videos. And there's going to be 60 to 70 to 80 plus more coming soon. But Miles Sanders is a very strong option for you. If you don't have to spend a first round pick, but you get to spend a second round pick on the guy, the upside is there for him. Now, last year he played in 16 games, but it's very, very important to kind of pick out the games where he actually started to become the starter. Because if you look at the season stats, which are right now on the screen, 53.7% of the snaps, 179 carries for 818 yards and six touchdowns. Pretty decent numbers for a rookie. But he had 50 receptions on 63 targets, 509 yards. So this man ends up piling over 1,300 total yards, 50 receptions on barely 50% of the snaps as a rookie when elite with the pass catching game. And yes, the Eagles suffered from a ton of injuries last year to their wide receiver court, their veterans and Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey go down. They have to rely, as they always do, on two tight end sets with Dallas Goddard and, and Zach Ertz. And then they have to rely on their pass catching running backs, who the only one last year after they 
cut Corey Clement after Darren Sproles was gone and retired and whatever else is happening with him now at this point after Jordan Howard doesn't catch passes it was the rookie Miles Sanders got called on but he was elite it wasn't like he was just catching dump offs he was running on wheel routes he was running go routes down the middle of the field and beating cornerbacks and linebackers and safeties left and right it seemed once or twice a game for a huge play so he totaled 1,327 yards as you can see right here on 229 touches it was 14.3 touches per game but as you can see on the screen right now he actually averaged 19 touches over his final six games so he averaged five touches more per game over his final six when he started to break out when Jordan Howard was dealing with injuries of course but when he started to break out they said let's give this guy who's so dynamite who came out of the same school a year after Saquon Barkley got to work and train with Saquon Barkley both during and after college let's see what this guy can do if we give him a few more touches so with that being said I'm pulling up right now from Rotoviz a split that I did over there on Rotoviz you can check out their site a split that I did over there was just the final six games very simple final six games for Miles Sanders compared to his first 10 well you can see right here he ended up averaging over eight and a half right at eight and a half more fantasy points per game over those final six compared to the first 10 that's fantastic his receptions went up by two receptions per game as you can see on the left hand column the six games are those final six the right are the the first 10 games when he really started to break out there's so many more things in here he ended up seeing seven more attempts per game on the ground so right there when you factor in receptions and attempts he's starting to see just in those final six games not the final eight that number that we talked about going from the 14 to 19 and a half to 20 touches per game the big leap there his rushing yards go from 37.4 to 74 so not only does he become just more efficient in terms of just the actual receptions and what he's doing on those he becomes more efficient in all different regards he's starting to get more volume of course so the yardage goes up but he's also becoming efficient the more touches he gets which usually isn't the case and that's not sustainable long term but it's just showing you as a rookie that this is the upside and the potential breakout that this guy has and that's exactly what he did down the stretch last year winning a lot of league managers and league owners their fantasy championships and that's a good visual to look at and philadelphia was able to actually run the seventh most running plays even in a spot where they didn't have a great offense around them in the passing game now if they have a passing game that sets up leads for them and they're leading more often it does set up more second half positive game scripts for a guy like miles sanders 36 red zone attempts in 2019 for him and then these are his ranks amongst running backs seventh in receiving yards 12th in receptions 13th in targets amongst running backs now those numbers might not sound fantastic but this is with him for 10 weeks of the season being in at best a 50 percent rbbc running back by committee and really just the backup for the first six to eight weeks of the year another big plus was that he did run behind the number one ranked offensive line last year when it comes to run blocking jason peters has not yet officially retired is still saying he wants to play but as i'm recording this is not signed with the team that would be a big knock to their offensive line so we'll have to keep a close eye on that i'm pulling up right now my chart i do this for every single team this is in the the supreme draft guide as well just one of the one of the many of features but this is the the offseason changes when it comes to free agency addition subtractions and then when it comes to the nfl draft and this is what the eagles did as it's on the screen right now they added elijah holyfield a running back depth that doesn't really matter too much they re-signed Corey clement who technically last contract he had was with the eagles but they cut him last year and they got marquis goodwin from the 49ers in a trade in the draft so they bring in some speed at the wide receiver position they needed help at wide receiver sean jackson alshon jeffrey aging veterans that have dealt with injuries for pretty much the better part of the last three seasons for each of them end up dumping off nelson aguilar who signs with the oakland raiders a guy who has a lot of drop problems the big big bonus if we're talking miles sanders is jordan howard leaving and signing with miami because that's going to end up just dumping out of this offense somewhere around 14 touches per game 14.8 touches per game to be exact when jordan howard was actually in there and getting a bulk of the touches they lose vate an offensive lineman which is going to be important and then they lose just a tight end and richard rogers former packer but the nfl draft is where they did a ton of things including just revamping their wide receiver position they take jalen rager in the first round out of tcu i like him they take jalen hurts potentially going to be factored in the backfield people are trying to say ah this is going to hurt miles sanders i don't buy it Taysom hill hurts alvin kamara i also don't buy that narrative either no he doesn't he hurts the entire team if you want to say that because he's he's scoring three touchdowns in the season that he's hurting the running back i don't buy it at all they get john hightower another wide receiver in the fifth quez watkins another wide receiver in the sixth so you can see 
see what they did. They ended up walking away from the NFL draft with some offensive line help, two offensive linemen, uh, Jalen Hurts, or whatever you want to call him, backup quarterback, uh, wildcat type player. I'll throw him around all around the field, gadget guy, whatever it's going to be. But they get three wide receivers in the draft and they trade for Marquise Goodwin in the draft. So they revamped their offense from a wide receiver perspective. Now that the offense is healthy, Wentz is coming back healthy, offensive line should still be very solid. Sanders coming into his second year. This is an offense that should control game scripts and that only helps a running back when you come into the second half and the fourth quarter when it's going to be more positive game scripts in terms of your leading or your tied. So it means more rushing attempts are going to be likely rather than you being trailing like they were in a lot of games last year and just not actually getting to run the ball as much. If you want to speak quickly on the durability of Miles Sanders, well, pretty much he, he didn't miss any games last year. Now he was on the injury report twice with a shoulder and MCL sprain. He dealt with similar injuries in college, but they were minor. Didn't force him to miss any time. So the durability of Miles Sanders as it stands right now of this recording is fine. No need to worry about that. Now let's discuss the backfield competition and the potential for more a veteran running back potentially coming into this backfield. Well, right now the backfield competition as there's no more Jordan Howard and they recently signed Corey Clement to a one-year deal this offseason is Boston Scott, Elijah Holyfield, former Carolina Panther, who they also signed this offseason and Corey Clement. Those guys don't scare me. They don't scare me at all. Boston Scott was very good towards the end of last year and he's somebody that you're playing in dynasty leagues, deep bench leagues, that you should probably pick up and maybe hold a little bit. And you can see right now I'm putting Boston Scott's stats from last season up on the screen and he was an efficient back. He really didn't get any work until Jordan Howard got hurt and then everybody got to bump up the chain a little bit. Miles Sanders got to take on that feature role. Uh, Boston Scott got to take on the former Miles Sanders role and Boston Scott that final month to six weeks of the season was highly efficient when it came around the red zone and when it came just in the passing game in general. So he does have the ability to take away from Miles Sanders, but look, I'm not expecting him to be a 50-50 split. Even if it's a 70-30 split, I'm not too concerned with that. Miles Sanders will still get hits. And I'm not looking for Miles Sanders to be a 24-touch Derrick Henry type running back. Give me Miles Sanders 16 to 18 touches a week, and I think he pays off a second-round pick draft capital without question in my mind. Elijah Holyfield, Corey Clement, these guys really aren't concerning me that much. Jordan Howard, like I said, for the back of the competition is gone, and he's leaving behind 119 carries, 525 yards, and seven touchdowns from last year. He also caught 10 of 14 targets and ended up being 14.8 touches per game that are now gone on and have to be refilled by this backfield. Now there's a ton of talk. And by the time you're watching this, this might've already been, and I assume it's already going to be resumed, a veteran running back talk to the Philadelphia Eagles. Carlos Hyde signed with the Seahawks. So now on the market, you have Devonta Freeman, the leading candidate who wants more money, uh, potentially not going to play. They're saying if, if he doesn't get that money, Lamar Miller, there's these other veteran running backs. Let me tell you something right now. These guys do not scare me from Miles Sanders. If Devonta Freeman signs with the Philadelphia Eagles, he is going to be somebody that I end up actually ranking higher Miles Sanders in my overall rankings. Now, maybe it's just one or two spots. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Well, let's let's get this straight right now. Austin Scott last year was wildly, wildly more efficient than Devonta Freeman. Not even close. Devonta Freeman was one of the least efficient running backs in the league. If you have a photo in your mind of Devonta Freeman, it's from two to three years ago, before injuries and before he hit the absolute cliff that was two years ago, year and a half ago, but really last year. Devonta Freeman is a bad running back. And if they want to sign Devonta Freeman to be the backup of Miles Sanders, he's going to be inefficient and ineffective and not see the field all that much. He would see the field less than Boston Scott, and he would threaten Miles Sanders less than Boston Scott. This does not mean that Boston Scott will not actually touch the field if they sign a veteran running back. And it doesn't have to be the Freeman, Lamar Miller, whoever it is. No, that doesn't, that's not necessarily the case, but it means that he likely touches the field less, which is just better for Miles Sanders. Okay. LaShawn McCoy was a name thrown out there, the former Eagle. He's an absolute dumpster fire as well, in my opinion. Now he actually showed some burst at points last year, but these 32 plus year old running backs, and I know Devonta Freeman's a little bit younger than that, but dealing with injuries, kind of just lost all his efficiency last year. These guys are not scaring me off of the, in his prime, after a breakout rookie year the last six weeks, 23-year-old Miles Sanders, a 30-plus-year-old running back in LaShawn McCoy, and approaching 30 running back in Devonta Freeman. Do not scare me. These guys are less efficient than Sanders and even the backup Scott. And if anything, it makes the threat to backup touches being more worthwhile, less for Miles Sanders as if Boston Scott was back there. So when you get the news that Devonta Freeman or LaShawn McCoy signed with the Eagles for a one-year deal for like $3 million, and everybody's jumping up and down and going, 
crazy. Oh no, this ruins Miles Sanders. And he drops down your draft boards, smash the button right there because it shouldn't worry you at all. I'm not concerned with these guys at all. What are we doing? What are we doing here? A guy who showed no efficiency last year in Devonta Freeman is scaring you from taking Miles Sanders in the second round. Just, just think about that logic right now for when Miles Sanders goes and beasts this year. You're going to really be kicking yourself. So that's where I'm at on Miles Sanders right now. It depends on when you're watching this, but beginning of the summer, he was going at like the end of the second, beginning of the third round. No way you get him there. Now that we're midway through the summer, you can probably still get him in the middle of the second round, but he could potentially even push a first round pick. And I wouldn't hate it. If you're taking Miles Sanders with like the 11th pick in the first round, and a lot of other guys are gone. Go ahead and then double tap the position and get, I don't know, Josh Jacobs in the second round right around to start it. Kenyon Drake, whatever it is. And you're starting with two high upside running backs, younger running backs, a big piece of that as well, in my opinion. So I like Miles Sanders a lot. He is the first must draft running back on this list. Before we get into number two, the guy behind me, Kareem Hunt, if you enjoyed that part of Miles Sanders right now, hit that like button for me. It takes a couple seconds of your time and totally free. Smash the big subscribe button that just popped up on the screen. Thank you all so much. Down below in the description is the Supreme Draft Guide. Link to that and all the information for how to get it for just $10, a third of the price as it was last year, if you are indeed eligible. Thanks to the sponsor of this video and the Draft Guide, Monkey Knife Fight. Tons of work went into that. The Draft Guide down below. If you're missing out, you're going to be in such a better position to win your league if you get that Draft Guide because every single thing that I know, piece of knowledge is in there in an in-depth way for you to take advantage of. So the second must-draft running back for us is going to be Kareem Hunt. And this guy looks like, as of right now, the mid-round darling for in 12-train drafts, something that you can get in your fifth, potentially even sixth round of your draft. And in some drafts, he's dropping even further down than that. Now, Kareem Hunt, we know, was suspended for the first eight games last year. Well, what does he do when he comes back from that suspension? Well, let's pop up his eight games. And really, I guess they're his final eight games. His only eight games from last year. His overall stats, 54.1% of the snaps. Well, that's pretty good. He had just 43 carries for 179 yards, three touchdowns. Then he catches 37 balls and 45 targets for 285 yards. So he ends up getting in those eight weeks, 80 total touches. So 10 touches per week, 10 touches per game on average, 464 yards and three touchdowns. Not a bad half of the season for a guy playing pretty much a 50% of the snap role because Nick Chubb was there. Cleveland was ranked 22nd in rushing plays per game, which factors in a little bit more of Nick Chubb than it actually does Kareem Hunt. But with the addition of Kevin Skavansky, the former Minnesota Viking head coach who loves running two tight end sets and already said they're going to be doing that with Njoku and the new addition, Austin Hooper, and they want to run the ball a lot more, which helps, in my opinion, both of these running backs, more so Nick Chubb, but both of these running backs, Kareem Hunt too, a little bit of a knock there because he is a running back, a shocker, shocker here. So it's going to help if he's in a run first offense. He averaged 4.6 receptions per game, and he was a top five in per play production for running backs last year. Just per play production is per touch efficiency. Kareem Hunt was top five. He still got it. Now here's a more advanced split of all the different categories for those final eight games for Kareem Hunt, popping it up on the screen from Rotoviz. In those eight games, he averaged 12.58 fantasy points per game. That's not terrible for a guy that you're probably using as your RB4, maybe your flex spot at best. Those 4.6 receptions per game, like we were talking about, 35.62 receiving yards per game. The rushing yards were nothing fantastic, just 21 and a half rushing yards per game. But you were really looking at the receptions and the overall passing game involvement, 5.6 targets per game for this running back. That is just huge, huge upside if you're talking PPR formats, especially in the mid rounds of your drafts. And this is where I really want to actually take you right now. This is Nick Chubb's final eight games once Kareem Hunt returned compared to his first eight games. Now in his first eight games, he's averaging 19.66 fantasy points per game. He's literally a top three to five running back in the NFL for fantasy and just real life at that point. He's seeing 3.12 receptions per game. He's ending up seeing four targets per game. His receiving yards are at 20 per game. His rush attempts are at 19 per game and he's seeing 100 rushing yards per game. Now that's all fantastic numbers. He was balling out. Now what happens when Kareem Hunt comes and where are really the dramatic downturns? Well, right away, his fantasy points per game go from 19.6 to 12.97. The guy starts to drop almost seven 
11 fantasy points per game when Kareem Hunt comes around. That's not good. Why is that? Well, we can start with the PPR format because of the receptions. He goes from 3.2 to 1.38. So his receptions nearly cut in half. His targets go from 4 to 2.2. Those nearly cut in half. His receiving yards go from 20 to 14. That's a drop of about 40%. So this is all not great. Now his rushing attempts stay pretty much the same, although they do kind of drop by 1.1. And his rushing yards drop from 100, which is a high number anyway. So just natural regression down to 86.3. His receiving game, his receiving role went away. He went from being a top five running back in points per game those first eight weeks to being outside the top 20 the final eight weeks. When you lose your receiving role in a PPR format, it is so dramatically deadly and it can be dangerous. Now, I think the Kevin Skavansky run first offense is actually going to neutralize any of the threats of Nick Chubb being outside of the top 10 at the running back position in a lot of rankings because he's just going to be fed so much more. Like we can look at Nick Chubb seeing 320 carries this year. And if he only catches 15 to 20 balls, well, he's still threatening for a 350 touch season. And it's just really hard for a running back like that not to be ranked inside your top 10 for any format. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Kareem Hunt is just dead. If they're going to run more, that's going to help Kareem Hunt more. If they're going to run more and have more running backs on the field more, and that's what they want to do, that's going to help Kareem Hunt more. If they're a better team in general with, and we're going to talk about in a second, their improved offensive line, and they're going to be leading in games, they're going to run more, which helps, yes, Nick Chubb, but also Kareem Hunt. So here are what the Browns did in the offseason. And the biggest things that you can see is they added Jack Conklin, an offensive tackle. Biggest things for a guy like Kareem Hunt. They added Kevin Skavansky, one, the head coach we've talked about. That helps the running game because he's a, a run first offense. He and implemented that for, with success in Minnesota. But they added Jack Conklin, former Tennessee Titan, offensive tackle, fantastic piece to add. And then in the draft, they take overall 10th overall out of Alabama, potentially the best offensive lineman in this draft. And Jedrick Willis is a tackle. So they go from having one of the worst offensive lines, bottom five last year, just absolutely brutal for Baker and pass protection and even run blocking. Like Nick Chubb produced all those fantastic numbers the entire season, but really the first eight weeks with one of the worst offensive lines is just insane. And now it's completely revamped with a veteran in Jack Conklin and the new young toy in Jedrick Willis, who has a ton of upside out of Bama. They end up adding a fullback in Andy Janovich, which is going to help this running game. They get Austin Hooper to try and help with some of their two tight end sets. And just in general, a nice pass catcher was a top six tight end in only 13 games last year for fantasy with the Atlanta Falcons. And their losses are not that much. Sure, they lose offensive linemen and Greg Robinson and Justin McCray, but these are guys they probably wanted to lose based on the additions that they brought in for them and how bad the line was last year. So you can see the rest of the stuff. They added an interior offensive lineman to Karras in the fifth round for some offensive lineman help. But the biggest impacts in the offseason directly related to Kareem Hunter, a fullback added a veteran and a very good one, former Bronco and Andy Janovich, and the offensive line overall improvement. And then probably the biggest one was not a player is the head coach now in Kevin Skafanski. Now, what does the backfield competition look like? We kind of already went deep into Nick Chubb. Uh, we could just look at his overall season, 71% of the snaps you see right here, 298 carries. And I think that number is going to get bigger as the team, I think will be improved and in leading game scripts so that they're winning in the second half or at least closer and not trailing. So more run attempts. I really do think this year, Nick Chubb is going to push for 320 plus carries, but 298 last year for 1,494 yards, second in the NFL, only behind Derrick Henry. And he had similar touches inside the 10 yard line, inside the red zone, but inside that 10 yard line, even closer to the end zone as guys like Dalvin Cook, Zeke and Saquon. And those guys were scoring like 10 touchdowns last year in those touches. Nick Chubb only scored four. So he's in major, major regression territory for touchdowns. Nick Chubb, if he was anything like the average running back last year inside the 10 yard line would have ended up with like 12 to 13 touchdowns. So he's in a major regression spot for a guy who already scored eight total touchdowns last year. He did see 36 receptions on 50 targets, but those receptions just dropped like Kareem Hunt and half the games ended up seeing one more reception on the season. Nick Chubb's probably going to project out for somewhere around 15 receptions as long as Kareem Hunt is healthy for a lot of projection models, including mine heading into this year, which is the big knock against him. But the uptick is the fact that the volume should increase and he should get regression in the red zone as well. Outside of that, it is Kareem Hunt in this backfield and then Dontrell Hilliard, who I'm not too concerned about. So yeah, there's a fantastic running back ahead of you. In my opinion, a top five talented running back in the NFL and Nick Chubb ahead of you in this offense. But the way that they worked these running backs last year, Kareem Hunt was going out of the slot at times. You can see based on the 54% of the snaps for Kareem Hunt on the season that 
that he was on the field with Nick Chubb a lot. He was being involved in the passing game, especially in the red zone too, which is a big uptick and a big a boost up for Kareem Hunt stock. For a guy that you can currently get in like the fifth or sixth, or potentially if he falls to the seventh round for you as your RB3 or RB4, or if you want to go zero RB strategy, I don't recommend it this year. Check out some of my other videos, like I said on that. But if you wanted to, it's like the ideal zero running back strategy starting point in Kareem Hunt. The upside is fantastic. The worst case scenario is that he does what he did last year and he still finishes as a top 25 running back, even though he's being drafted as like the 32nd ranked running back off the board right now. And then the upside is that he just sees more work. He gets some touchdowns in there. Potentially Nick Chubb actually gets injured if he's going to see 300 plus carries. And then you have a top five running back on your team that you drafted in like the sixth or seventh round of your draft. So you get to use him as a flex or your RB4 with an immense upside week in and week out. And then even more upside if something was to happen, God forbid, the Nick Chubb. So that's where I'm at on Kareem Hunt. I think he is one of, if not the best mid-round running backs right now going in the fifth or sixth round. He probably is the best available all the time whenever he's on the board and he's actually in territory to be drafted. So don't wait on him. Must draft running back number two, Kareem Hunt. And before we close the door with Joe Mixon, please do, again, second of time, big old like button if you have not already. If you have, thank you so much. And the big subscribe button just popped up. Bottom right hand corner of your screen, tap that subscribe button. It lets YouTube know, hey, these people are engaging within the video. They like his content. They like his podcast within the video itself. Let's show it to more people if there's that much engagement. So please do that. It's totally free, nothing to cost on your end. And it helps this channel grow a ton. If you enjoy this content, if you've gotten any value out of it, hit the like button, subscribe button, and tap the notification bell so you can see all the rest of the videos and check out all the other videos in the playlist as well. It'll be pinned up at the end of this video, but you can go back on my channel and just skim through whatever videos that pop out to you. So Joe Mixon right now is somebody that I love. And obviously he's going to be a borderline first round pick. He's going at the end of the first round, beginning of the second round. I personally think he should be like a top six pick this year in drafts. That's where I'm going to have him ranked. I'm very high on Joe Mixon. I have him ahead of guys like Derrick Henry, ahead of guys like Nick Chubb, borderline in some leagues, depending on your standpoints and scoring ahead of Alvin Kamara. He's right there with Alvin Kamara for me. And if you're blowing your mind right now and saying, why, just take a second, sit right there. And let me tell you how I became the fresh prince of Joe Mixon rankings. All right, let's get into it. So Joe Mixon right now from last year, 16 games on a team that was absolutely abysmal on a team that at best had Andy Dalton for half the season. And then they put in a floppy noodly arm Ryan Finley out there for some games, played on 62% of the snaps, 278 carries over 1100 yards and eight touchdowns. He caught 35 balls and 45 targets for another 297 yards. So the man ends up piling up 17.4 opportunities per game. He ends up piling up over 1400 yards and eight touchdowns, a very baller-esque season, if I will, for Joe Mixon, a guy who is right now on the peak of the absolute breakout and a guy who just talent-wise and versatility in this league right now, I would put Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, and that's probably it ahead of Joe Mixon. You could put Nick Chubb into that range. You could put Zeke there, but I would probably say that Joe Mixon is the next guy who has that just massive upside because of his versatility and talent. Let me show you just some more things of where he ranked last year. Fifth in carries, seventh in red zone touches with three per game, 19th in fantasy points per game at 14.1, eighth in rushing yards, number one in evaded tackles. Joe Mixon had 103 evaded tackles last year behind this terrible bottom five offensive line in Cincinnati. He had 103 evaded tackles, which meant he was just creating so, so much yards on his own. And I have it written here. If he just gets a half decent line this year, which they're going to have Jonah Williams back from an injury, an early first round pick from them last year. They get some more guys back from injury because last year was just a ton of injuries, suspensions, just team issues with guys like Cordy Glenn. So now if they get a decent offensive line, just be instead of being ranked like 30th in the NFL, just be ranked 20th for us, closer to average 15th even. Can you please be 16th? Somewhere around there. I think Joe Mixon is absolutely going to pop off. Now I'll look at a couple of game splits for you. The first one will be the final eight games post the bye week posted by Graham Barfield. And you can just pretty much see what he was doing. And it all boils down to Joe Mixon finishing 
finishing the final eight games as the RB7 and huge spikes in his touches and snaps like Graham says here in this chart. More specifically, he goes from the first 10 games for 10 fantasy points per game PPR to 18.2, making him the RB7 at that point. His scrimmage yards go from 53.8 to 124.3. He goes from being 39th in scrimmage yards to third overall, all behind this terrible offensive line. His touches per game go from 15, 28th overall to 24.1, third most overall. He started to ball out the final eight games and that's as the offensive line was just maybe if anything, getting a little bit more familiar with each other, but still becoming injured, still being very bad. I broke it down even more to look at the final six games to really drive home the point of when this offensive line started to get a little bit healthier. So we looked at the final eight games right there. In those first 10 games, he goes from 11 fantasy points per game to 18 and a half. So a huge spike there. He ends up going from overall touches when you're looking at rushing attempts, 14.6 to 22. You factor in the reception, he's going from around somewhere around 15 touches per game to 24 touches per game. The man was a beast. And here's the big one. Rushing yards per game, those final six compared to the first 10, 52.1 in the first 10 and 102.8 in the final six. The man just started balling out towards the end of the season. That is something that I want to pinpoint when I'm looking into the next year. And again, he did this all behind the 31st ranked run blocking offense, according to pro football focus last year, where they were decimated with injuries and a ton of other just drama cases and just things going on in this team that were terrible for the offensive line. Some health is going to be restored this year. Some pieces that they got in the draft should help and free agency should at least help a little bit. And just naturally, you're probably going to regress from being the second worst offensive line last year. So if you just regress to being like the 10th worst this year, it's going to help Joe Mixon a ton. So here's what the Bengals did in the offseason. Now, in terms of free agency, nothing like you're looking at these names right now. Yeah, good luck. I mean, Jockeys Patrick is somebody who stands out to me as somebody who follows like a bunch of just alternative leagues for football. Mike Thomas, a wide receiver. That is not Michael Thomas, former Jaguar, Mike Thomas. So nothing in free agency, really. Who do they lose? Well, they lose Cordy Glenn. So an offensive lineman who had issues with them last year, suspensions, injuries, and then just had issues wanting to play with the team and not wanting to play with the team. They lose their quarterback, Andy Dalton, which doesn't matter because of the draft, which we're about to get to. Tyler Eifert, who's honestly stayed healthy for all 16 games finally last year, but not somebody they're really relying on all that much anyways at this point. And then really where they kick things off is the NFL draft. They get Joe Burrow, the first overall pick. They get T Higgins, the first overall pick in the second round. These are their offensive picks in the drafts. And then a six round tackle. The hope here is that Joe Mixon and T Higgins improve this offense. They get AJ Green back, which is also something to mention. He's coming back on the franchise tag. Yes, he's now 32 years old, but still they're getting a very experienced veteran receiver who probably has some stuff left in the tank, which now makes Tyler Boyd not have to be the number one receiver out there, which he operates much, much better as a number two receiver. You have John Ross who dealt with injuries last year, but actually look good. People forget about John Ross, one of the fastest players, top five speed player in the league. He'll be coming back healthy. And then you add T Higgins as a fourth receiver. So their wide receivers are stacked. They have Joe Mixon in the backfield. They're stacked there. And if Joe Burrow is anything like his draft capital indicates first overall, they're going to be looking like a good offense if the offensive line can just improve a little bit. Now, what is the durability of a running back like Joe Mixon? Well, he has missed four games in his career. In 2017, he missed two games with a concussion. And then in 2018, he actually had an arthroscopic knee surgery, only ended up missing two games, even though it was a four to six week recovery. I think the bye week was sprinkled in there, but he came back on the positive side of that. So the former second round pick for the most part for running back has been pretty durable. Concussions are kind of unlucky. Now they can pile on, which is something to watch for and and be very weary of. But for right now, I'm not too concerned about durability. It's not a factor when I'm drafting Joe Mixon. I'm saying, ah, this guy's injury prone, like maybe some other guys up here, like a Dalvin Cook, which he has his other issues right now. Speaking of Dalvin Cook, yes, there is the threat for the holdout. I made an entire video on the holdout of Dalvin Cook's threat for it and saying he's not going to play. If Joe Mixon, by the time you're watching this, does indeed threat holdout because he's somebody who's actually known and and there's a potential chance and rumors uh, rumbling that he's going to, I am personally not going to factor that in all that much. There's no way these running backs are holding out, in my opinion. Oh, Sal, you're just saying that. No, no. The the way that the collective bargaining agreement has changed, there's no way they're holding out. They lose their entire pay for this year at the fines. Yes, if they get hold out, they now, because of the new CBA, the new collective bargaining agreement, get fined out of the wazoo if they just miss a couple of weeks of of camp, not even the regular season. So they're going to lose their entire salary for 2020, both Dalvin Cook 
Joe Mixon, whoever wants to hold out. And then the team now actually gets to access their rights for another year. So the season doesn't count. So they don't get to test free agency next year, which would mean in this situation that Joe Mixon would not get paid for this season. He'd have to pay all of his salary and fines. And then next year, the exact same thing would happen because he'd still be under contract for an additional year to the Bengals. And he would still then have to settle for whatever pay he was getting or repeat the process all over again and say, I'm going to hold out again. For a guy who's about to turn 24 years old and literally like a month or two from my recording of this, it does not make much sense for you to forego this year and then be in the same situation next year so that you can't test free agency until the end of your age 26 season entering into your age 27 where guys just don't get contracts. The smart thing to do for Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon, although yes, you're not getting paid a ton of money, ask for a little bit more money. Instead of the $1 million that these guys are getting paid, wildly underpaid, and that's why they're threatening the holdout, instead of asking for 10 to 13 million, ask for the final year of your deal to restructure something for like 5 million and your deal there and then go test free agency at the end of next year. Because there is a 0% chance in my mind that these guys actually hold out because they're giving up much more than they ever have before. They're giving up much more than Le'Veon Bell ever did when he held out, much more than Melvin Gordon did when he held out. And they're not the talent of Ezekiel Elliott to actually force their hand and force the organization to pay them because these organizations have not built their team around the running back in the offensive line like the Cowboys did when they drafted Ezekiel Elliott and all of that offensive line pieces and paid all those offensive linemen around Z. So the threat of the holdout, if you're sitting there and saying, ah, I can't do it because of Joe Mixon, and ah, I can't draft Alvin Cook and he's falling down draft boards. No, these guys are not going to hold out. The way that the new CBA works is pretty much saying you're screwed if you're a player. If you're on a rookie deal and you're not getting paid that much in that fourth or fifth year of your rookie deal, you lose an entire year of your salary to the fines. And then this team still has the same rights on you, which they never used to get. So there's no way these guys hold out. For me, that is just a, a, a factor of other people might let him drop if he threatens hold out. I'm just going to be taking the guy. Now, if it comes to the draft season or it comes to the camp season and he hasn't shown up for two to three weeks, then there's a really good chance now more than ever that this running back is going to sit out all year. Because at that point, he's probably paid his entire salary in fines, which is just crazy. So if you're sitting there, put, put yourself in this person's mind. Yes, emotions might be running high. You want more money. But if you're sitting there and you start to lose paychecks one and two, and you're saying, hmm, I'm actually going to lose all of my money to these new fines barring the CBA. And then next year, I'm going to be in the exact same situation. Why not tackle this head on right now? And I think that's what these guys are going to end up doing. So the holdouts for me don't really matter as much. And then to finish it up with the backfield competition for Joe Mixon, it's Giovanni Bernard. And then it's some younger, talented running backs that the Bengals actually like. Trevion Williams, Rodney Anderson. Gio Bernard is a dumpster fire. They gave him a contract extension, a two-year extension worth $9.7 million, but he's been so, so bad. He had 53 attempts for 170 yards last year. 53 attempts for 170 yards, less than three yards per carry. Just terrible. And he caught 30 of 43 targets for 234 yards. He has been awful. I would not be shocked if Giro Bernard ended up getting cut. And there are guys behind him that they like. Trevion Williams, a former six-round pick, ended up getting hurt last year. Rodney Anderson, they've been voicing popular opinions for Rodney Anderson and Trevion Williams, and they obviously like Joe Mixon. I actually would not be surprised by any means if Gio Bernard gets cut at this point. Yes, Gio Bernard from two years ago looked pretty nice catching some passes. But lately, Gio Bernard, very similar to Devonta Freeman, has been extremely inefficient, and they got younger running backs behind them that they have to see what they have in these guys. I think Gio Bernard Bernard is a cut candidate. I don't think there's any threat to Joe Mixon in this backfield. Those are three must-draft running backs. An honorable mention I'll give you is J.K. Dobbins, the rookie running back for the Baltimore Ravens. A much better dynasty pick, but I do think he can have an important role in this offense this specific year, especially if the aging veteran Mark Ingram starts to lose efficiency this age 31 season, or he just starts to break down a little bit. I think J.K. Dobbins, you can get him in like your eighth, ninth rounds of drafts, even later potentially right now. I think that's a nice pick to have later on. Not a must-must draft or else he would have been featured, but he's an honorable mention for this video. So those are three guys and an honorable mention in J.K. Dobbins. Thank you so much for tuning into this video. If you found it valuable at all, please, the big old subscribe button just popped up on the screen. Take one second of your time to hit that. It's totally free in the bottom right-hand corner and the like button, if you will. And let me know what you think in the comment section below. There's a really good chance this is the first time you've seen one of my videos because these must-draft running backs, wide receiver type videos really do pop off and a lot of people see them. Be sure to check out a lot of my other videos. I'm going to be having by the time the season comes like 150 videos on this stuff. There's already like 60 in there. Don't get overwhelmed. You can just skim through the ones that stand out to you. There's a ton of value in there. And also my Supreme Draft Guide is already available. It's linked down below. You can get it for just $10. Thank you to Monkey Knife 
Wright, the sponsor of this video and the draft guide. So be sure to check that out down below. Follow me on Twitter with any questions at DFS. If there's any reason that you're not eligible for the draft guide, you can just go to my main site, which will also be linked down below to pay uh, the normal price for the draft guide. So go ahead, check that all out. For $10, Monkey Knife Fight is going to be sponsoring it. Thank you so much. I'm excited if you just met me. I'm excited to meet you. Join the Discord too. There's a free Discord down below. Join all that. Thank you so much. My name's Sal, and I will see you in the next one.